0: Dave has been a dream come true, to put it in a very cliche way. It's been like a big break for me. And not only is it just sort of the the biggest stage that I've been on in the television world, it is also a joy to work on. It's a really safe, playful, creative, funny, friendly set. And I know that most of the best TV shows are, in fact, very, very stressful to make.
1: That is Taylor Mishak, a mega-talented actress you might know from the TV show, Dave. And I'm Joel Lehman. Welcome to Connection Request. In case you haven't noticed, we're releasing new episodes weekly this season, so make sure you're following us so you don't miss an episode. Today on the show, I'm talking to Taylor Mishak. She is an L.A.-based actor best known for starring as Allie in Dave on FX, the comedy starring the rapper and comedian Dave Bird, better known as Lil Dicky. She also starred in Lil Dicky's music video, Pillow Talking, alongside Dave and John C. Riley, and has acted in shows on Netflix, Paramount Plus, and NBC. You know, the actress strike has now been going on for more than a hundred days. So I wanted to understand from Taylor's perspective, what SAG-AFTRA is fighting for, what the strike has been like for her, and also her view on the knock-on effects on the industry. Her decade in Hollywood has also been marked by mega movements in the industry, like the streaming wars, Me Too, the pandemic, and now artificial intelligence. So we unpack all of that too. We spend time digging into what being on Dave has meant for her career, how collaborative the show has been, and how she was able to help shape her character, Ally. We also talk about why, despite her recent success, she still feels like an underdog and the characters that she still wants to play. And we chat about why she loves working on short films, sketches, and how she's been writing and pitching some of her own material. Taylor is also the co-host of Table Flipping, a podcast about reality TV, so I had to get her thoughts on reality TV, including why she thinks 90 Day Fiancé, This Is True, is actually a better show than Dave. Stick around for the rapid fire for her thoughts on The Golden Bachelor and her favorite celebrity run-in. We'll get to my conversation with Taylor after a quick word from our sponsor, SK Coffee. This season, we are thrilled to be sponsored by SK Coffee, a specialty coffee roaster based in Minnesota, shipping worldwide. Listeners of the show will remember Sam from season one, where he shared his journey from musician to entrepreneur. We'll hear more from Sam later in the episode.
0: I am Taylor Mishak. I'm an Aquarius. I'm a dog mom. I am a actor and I live in California. I've been living in Los Angeles for almost 10 years since I graduated school and I've been fortunate enough to find some work out here and in weird old Hollywood. And yeah, that's me. Oh my gosh, look at your cute dog in the background.
1: Thank you. This is Effie. She's uh, an important part of this podcast and my work life. Um, I should have dropped you a note that dogs were supposed to be in the background, but next time maybe if Gosh. we get back on... Um, well, some work I think is doing a lot of work in that sentence. So we will make sure to get into all of the various and wonderful projects you've been up to. But I think we have to start this conversation by disclosing that the way that we know each other and really the last time that we talked a bunch was when we were in high school together. And, yeah. um, and you married. Know, I we were married. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about it. We were in what I can definitively say was the peak of my acting career in <laughs> high school. And in retrospect was absolutely just the beginning of yours, but you were so damn talented and hardworking. And I don't know, I don't want to be too self-deprecating, but I always felt like I was just like lucky to be working alongside you amazing and wonderful people.
0: Oh my Um, gosh. You were one of them.
1: Oh Um, my gosh. Now look at all the amazing places you've been, but take me back to high school you were really talented. You were doing as many theater things as you could. And if I remember right, maybe speech and debate and things that involved you standing up and opening your mouth and doing amazing things. (laughs) What was Taylor at that point thinking about career-wise? Were you like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life?
0: Um, First of all, it must be said that your Tevia was transformative and inspiring. So I will not I will not hear you put that down. Overall, that production, I think, was magical. But... Same. High School Taylor, first of all, you're very sweet. It's very sweet to say I was talented. I had uh, a really fun time doing theater growing up. I... To like sort of take it back, I've always wanted to act. I really, really liked musical theater. I told my mom when I was seven, I wanted to audition for musical theater. And I was like at a children's theater the next day. So I'd always been doing it. And then my dad has a sort of traveling salesman-esque job. And we moved around every few years while I was growing up, which was quite difficult to like always be the new kid. But a great sort of like hook into any community was the school plays Mm -hmm. and the community theater. So everywhere I moved, I just like immediately dove into the theater. When I moved Hmm. to Minnesota, where you and I went to school together, the play rehearsal or the play auditions for the fall play were before school even started. So I didn't know a soul when I went in to audition for what the fall play was. And it was nice to meet some people auditioning and then start the first day of school, like knowing a handful of names and a handful of faces. So yeah, I really just sort of dove in, especially moving in the middle of high school is something I would not recommend. And I dove into the theater program and the speech and debate program, and I really loved them so much. And I had some really impactful coaches and directors who helped me foster those skills and that talent and those interests. I will say when I moved to Minnesota, I still didn't think that pursuing a career as an actor was a very um, possible or practical thing. and I. Was very transformed by going to the Guthrie in Minneapolis. And it blew my mind that there were these incredibly impressive, really magical performances and and productions that were either that the casts were entirely Minnesota working actors, and then a handful of like TV actors from LA or New York that were coming in to do a production. And it, I, it just like overnight occurred to me that you like, you didn't have to be Julia Roberts to be a sure. professional actor. Hmm. I was like, oh, you could pay your bills. Like these people are, I would be happy. There were people of all ages and of all yeah. different backgrounds. I was like, anybody, it really, really changed my perspective. And then I think maybe junior year of high school started going home to my parents and being like, I'm going to do this though. And before that, I wanted to be a, um, like a, a public speaking coach. I wanted to teach people in like corporate America how to give speeches because, as I learned through my dad, in almost any industry, the further you work your way up a ladder, the more likely you have to give um, like public speeches. And that's like such a a fear that a lot of people have. You know, our high school speech team had a shirt that said, Our sport is your greatest fear because public speaking is like the number one fear in the country. (laughs) So I really wanted to do that. I thought that was like a practical way to like, take my passion for performing and like that's such a it... specific
1: job I know. and thing to know about in high like I, I sort of <laughs> understand it now but i'm just thinking about you know i've spent my life in the world of corporate and i just love that you're like acting not attainable what yeah. i will do instead <laughs> is like go to corporate and like which anyway i love that very and,
0: niche yeah very niche yeah. and my and my parents like loved it and then you know sure. even when i went to school for i went to college for and acting and they were like, what about a minor in like communications? And I was like, sure. yeah, I mean, I guess fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. And okay, that, that's really helpful and, and kind of reminds me of the context, but that sort of all makes sense in tracks for me. So then at any point along that journey, you go to college, you are in LA and we'll talk about like your list of credits and stuff. But at any time, do you ever think like, hmm? I don't know if I'm going to do this for sure. Like, I don't know that this is for sure going to be the thing. Do you think about other career paths? Maybe you still do. I don't know.
0: Hopefully not. No. And I, I think that a big portion of that is like just being naive and another portion of it is passion. And then the last bit is just luck and having I was very lucky to have a series of events happen in my life that were enough validation yeah to keep going yeah like I know I was fortunate enough to like looking back I know when I hear a question like that and I've thought about it why I haven't necessarily pivoted or been enticed by pursuing something different is because perhaps every time that was about to crystallize I would book a job or I would get into a program I really wanted to get into, or I would start working on a project that I was really inspired by. So the, and believe me, I've had lulls, I've had lulls and downs and times of feeling, you know, really lost and scared about where the next thing is going to come. But they were fortunately for me, never long enough to really force that sort of pivot in my career. I and I don't mean to say I, I like to think of myself as like a multi hyphenated actor. I love writing and I, I love working with other actors. And like, there's times I really like directing is something that's interesting to me. But no, I haven't had the desire to be like, maybe I should be a corporate speech coach. Yeah, quite yet.
1: Well, <laughs> that's great because you're so talented and the world wants and needs more of you. So um, <laughs> and and I'll, I I appreciate your just like candor about that you do have lulls because I think it's easy from the outside, again, for someone who hasn't talked to you in a long time, to be like, "Man, Taylor's just killing it." She's like on all <laughs> these great TV shows, and and um, and I know from talking to other actors and other people in Hollywood that, like, no, it's not exactly like that. There's highs, mm-hmm. there's lows, just like any job, and I think that's important to just talk about. Um, You mentioned sort of being a multi-hyphenate, which is not surprising to me. Are are there other parts of the business, writing, directing, producing, that maybe we don't know as much about, we being the public, or things that like you, you have 10 passion projects just like waiting to be made? I don't know. What is your relationship between acting and then sort of the other pieces of the industry?
0: I've um, been really fostering the part of me as an artist that is a, a like writer, storyteller in the past few years, and mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to once I got to transition out of my survival job where I was serving and dog walking and doing all of these other gigs to pay the bills, and I have slowly transitioned into like paying my bills through acting. I now could dedicate that time to something else, yeah. and I found that I was really drawn to first I dealt with imposter syndrome a lot. I I know and love a lot of really, really talented writers. And for a while I would be like, well, I'm not a writer. Like they're writers. Like they write scripts and they are writers and their shows are on TV or they're staffed in rooms and they're writers. And I'm I'm just the actor. And then after a while I was like, I would talk to them about story. I would think about characters I wanted to play. I'd be watching TV and thinking about the story. And then finally, after years of only auditioning for a certain type of character in the past two or three years, I've started writing projects that I would still act in, but that are sort of satisfying this need that I haven't gotten as an actor otherwise. And I auditioned for a lot of girlfriend characters, a lot of fiance characters, a lot of like supportive partner. I auditioned for the same sort of role over and over again, which I love. It's very much my bread and butter, you could say. But I'm now writing things for myself where I'm downright evil. And like, use that girl next door power to like ruin someone's life. And I've been like collaborating with writers that I know and pitching shows and pitching it as a writer, producer, and as an actor. And that's been scary, but so satisfying, because it's given me a lot more power and agency in my own career. And don't get me wrong, I have not sold a show. So it still is, it's a different way of auditioning, but at least I am like getting my creative juices flowing. I'm introducing myself to these connections as like a fully rounded artist instead of just an actor you can plug into stuff. Um, And that's just been like a big, big like blessing for me artistically, especially over the past few years over COVID and the strike and like times in between seasons of Dave, like. I would recommend to any actor finding something, even if it's not industry related, that makes you feel like you're making
1: something. Mm. I can't wait to see those projects uh, and what they (laughs) turn into because that sounds wonderful. You mentioned the strike, which I think we have to talk about. As of recording this today, you know, this is a show about work and and inherently that means it's a show about labor. And uh, Mm -hmm. as we talked today, say After the Screen Actors Guild has been on strike for 90 plus days. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Can you tell me and our audience, why are you and the Guild striking and what have the past few months been like for you?
0: The Guild is striking due to the circumstances of our industry and the relationship with producers and those who are making TV have just really, really evolved so very quickly and so very much in the past few years. And the contract that the union of actors has with those powers that be is up for renegotiation every couple of years. And we are much overdue to make some changes. Uh, the first time there was like sort of in the past 10 years that I've been here, there were rumblings of a strike around 2020. And then some other things kind of took the spotlight over that. So both SAG and the WJ were like, why don't we strike later? Um, and that means that we had to have a few more years of a dated contract. Hmm. And so now time is really, really up. And what's stressful about it is that we are negotiating with the, the most powerful powers that be about just fair wages and fair and safe circumstances on set. A lot of the contracts that we work under now in different areas of television and film and, and video game voiceover, voiceovers in general, are structured around like the old sort of like cheers and like friends system. And just television doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. And now we have streamers and now we have robots and <laughs> there's just all these things that are happening. So fortunately, the WGA was fighting for a lot of those same rights and a lot of those same changes, and they were able to come to a contract that they feel really good about. And I am personally hoping that we are like shortly behind them. Unfortunately, it does seem like there's still a lot of friction. And I know AI with background actors, AI with all actors is a big part of it. And that's something that the WGA didn't necessarily have to fight that fight for us. Um, And then to answer the second part of your question, it has been very hard. It's been very discouraging. Um, It has a very sad negative effect on the entire city. I think when people are watching about the writers and actors strike on the news, there might be this cliche of like, well, go shut up and go make us TV. Like you guys get paid to play pretend and you get paid to tell little stories. Like why, what are you complaining about? And if you have that opinion, whatever, more power to you. However, I think what you're not people don't think about is the entire trickle-down industry, the people who I know in my life who are most affected by the strike are hair and makeup people, are yeah. people who work in catering, are people who work in security and valet parking, are people who work in transportation. It's like there are hundreds of thousands of people who are employed by television being in production and, and they are completely out of work. And with the, especially when both uh, unions were striking. It was like, there wasn't even production on the horizon. And then it trickles into the entire economy here. We're like, I like, wasn't getting my hair colored. I like, wasn't like doing you. And if I finally did, I was like, you know what, Taylor, you got to figure out these routes. And I went and the person who colors, my hair was like, this summer has been really hard for me. And I don't Hmm. even, and I just work at a salon, but I took for granted how many of my clients were actors and writers who can't afford to come in, to come get their hair done. And it really broke my heart to think of just like how much this feels like it's symbolically the actors or the writers who are doing this. And it's like, God, it's just affecting so many more people than you could ever imagine. And I believe in all the things we're fighting for. And I really, I'm looking forward to getting over this hump and I trust it will happen. Um, It's just a really tough growing pain.
1: Hmm. Well, I appreciate you giving the background and the context and maybe expanding people's mind a little bit about it's not just. The actors, it's sort of the knock-on effects of the industry. You know, speaking of, I'm just thinking about the decade that you've been there and these really mega movements, Me Too, (laughs) the COVID, a historic strike, AI, like that feels like a ton of change and disruption. I'm just curious, like, obviously the strike affects you in a huge way, but some of those other ones... How are those affecting what you do, and how much of your mental energy and your headspace is devoted to like, wow, my industry is just changing before my eyes?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it feels very ironic for me to be like, it's not just the actors being like, woe is me, and I'm now going to start my woe is me section because you're absolutely right that the past ten years have had some mega movements, and they have. You know in different ways affected me just as a person and then and very much so professionally and it affects I think in all careers and, and you talk about this on the podcast and I certainly know actors and artists talk about it a lot you like conceptualize career momentum hmm. and you'll say, I will say like oh well I booked this particular show and now that's going to lead me to these next all these doors are going to open for this next caliber of work or these new relationships with directors and producers and writers. Like you feel like there's momentum. You're told that you will pick up speed and then you'll, and you'll be at this steady upward climb. And I have found that I will, I used to get really fixated on that and I would book a job and be almost hyper fixated on what the next step was. And it must be this next step up. And not only is that not always true and, and kind of just, just like misnomer about I think life, but there every time I felt that at its biggest, there would be like a global pandemic. And I would yeah. go, I'm and it would be good and that it would put me in check. And it'd be like, of course there's so many bigger things in the world than like the next television show that I book. But then, of course, I would also be like, but my momentum, yeah. like thou that's all sucked out. And, and it does feel, I'm sure so many actors feel that way right now with the strike. And then you finally, have, I have a, a dear friend who booked this fantastic guest star on a show and like absolutely killed it. And it would be normally something that you would go, oh, this has gives you like so much momentum into your next gig. And then like, boom, the strike started. And so I know that he feels very much like this was the rug is pulled out from under you. Yeah. But ultimately, it's also this time in particular, I am trying to look at the positive and go, you know what? Do I feel like this has really stunted some stuff for me and and taken away time? Absolutely. But I also know we're going to come out on the other side with just like a healthier, safer, better circumstance for work in the future. And that's like so much more important. And I'm willing to sacrifice mm. a big chunk of this year for that because I know it's investing in all of our future. And But it's harder to feel that way during the pandemic. It's it was a very, um, me too, it's just a, like sort of a complicated time. I mean, there's obviously this like big release and relief that comes from everything, everybody like coming forward and, and a lot that was culturally shifted then. But it also is a very like traumatic time for people to be sharing so much trauma and, and to be bringing so much darkness into light. And that's tough. And that makes, you know, friends and family concerned about yeah. my being here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's a different, there's a lot of difficult challenges that come with those mega movements, as you said. Yeah. But I, I still, at the end of the day, I've had so many more blessings than I've had obstacles. And I've also been lucky enough to not be alone in those experiences. I'm not the only mm. one who's dealing with all of those things. So mm. it's not something I personally have to bear just myself.
1: Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Well, let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Let's talk about yeah, Dave. Yeah, happy. That little... <laughs> tv show that you're on that has now run three seasons it's gained quite a following i'm a little bit late to the game i'm ashamed to say especially someone who's a fan (laughs) of you i'm just i'm really glad that this conversation gave me a reason to like okay time to watch it um it's great i'm just about done with season one so i'm a little bit behind but Mm -hmm. i'm loving it i'm so impressed of and if i'm allowed to be proud of you I'm that as well (laughs) um you're magnificent in it It's funny before I sort of figured out some of the people behind it in my head. I was like, oh, this is kind of like Seinfeld. But if um Jerry were a rapper slash comedian, and then like I come like, oh, like some of the people are behind (laughs) the curved and sign like it's just it's it's so good, it's so funny. And you also have described the show as funny, melancholy, smart, and stupid, which is a lot to achieve in one show, but I think that holds up at least. In my experience, um, what has been your experience with that show, and what has it meant for your career?
0: I mean, Dave has been a dream come true. It's been um, a very, to put it in a very cliche way, it's been like a big break for me. And not only is it just sort of the the biggest stage that I've been on in the television world, it is also a joy to work on. It's a really mm-hmm. um, safe playful creative funny friendly set and i know that most tv shows most of the best tv shows are in fact very very stressful to make and i don't get me wrong we have like incredibly stressful moments making this show um because dave dreams very big but it's just been nothing short of a dream come true i really love everyone i work with i love ally so much and the writers and the producers are really collaborative and especially season one. There's like a lot of my fingerprints on Allie as a character because there was a enough room to be like, "Hey, this doesn't feel like believable to me as mm. as, a, as a woman who has a boyfriend. Like, I don't know if I had this conversation with him that this is sort of I that I buy this." And they'd be like, "Great. Well, then what what do you think you would say?" And like, "How do you what what's believable to you?"
1: Which are you is, saying the milking thing was all you? That yeah, that milking was a... thing was
0: all me. That was all me. No, but there were, but a lot of that episode was uh, the conversations that we had about intimacy and the arguments we would have. And there's another episode, um, the penultimate episode of that season is also like kind of a big Allie episode. And there's a lot of like long conversations and fights between Dave and Allie. And I, it was really, really great to work with Vanessa McGee, who's one of our producer and writers, who's like a really, really talented woman about like, giving ally a believable voice like you have a character like dave who is who is so authentic and is so believable because he's playing himself like he his character is so textured with like realness even though he's so absurd because he's not playing a character he's playing himself and like that's a big person to play opposite and it's a very specific very authentic very nuanced person to play opposite so like ally is 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 just inherently a little more vanilla Because she's not as like absurd as Dave, but she has to feel just as real, and she has to feel just as detailed, and and she has to like come to play with a person like that. So it was just really great to. It is really great to play a character that they are invested in in her as much as I'm invested in her and making her real. And it's just really inspiring to work on a show that's like led by such a. I mean, I really he's an artistic genius, Dave Mm -hmm. Bird, and just is a really great collaborator and person to work with surrounds himself with really smart, talented people who know better than him in certain arenas. And I'm really inspired by him. And like, I hope to work on a show where I'm more in his position one day and like take mm. lessons that I've learned from him. When mm. I do the show, Taylor,
1: Ooh, <laughs> Taylor
0: li- also on Hulu.
1: I like that. Um, yeah. That'd be good. i have watched that show. Um, yeah. What is it? Like you mentioned, this is kind of the biggest stage you've been on. I was just like, I don't know. I was reading some of the different like people and celebrities that have talked about the show and mentioned it. Like Jillian Anderson was praising it. LeBron James was like, let's get another season going. Um, I know. A lot of people on Twitter have floated you for Emmys and like said, oh, I want Taylor to play X character like what's your relationship with feedback, be it positive and also criticism? And is it surreal to have people, whether you admire them or not, who are, you know, sort of big names, like love your art?
0: Oh, it's surreal. It's so surreal. I also have a, um, this sort of distant relationship with it because when our show came out, our show came out the week of the shutdown, our show came out, I think a week after the NBA was shut down and a lot of people had to stay home. And I, and we really, in terms of numbers, absolutely benefited from that. And I think that our show also is so sweet and surprisingly heartfelt uh, and funny that it was kind of what the doctor ordered at that very scary time. Um, I don't know how many people would have like obsessed over the last of us had it come out that week Um, at the way that we are now. I think it's a brilliant show. Um, it just was. It just like hit the spot. So while I'm trapped in my one bedroom apartment, I'm seeing on Twitter and online and like hearing from friends and family how well the show is being received. Yeah. But I can't like interact with human beings. And not to say that if like there wasn't a, a, the pandemic, that I would have like gone outside and been like ho- like paparazzi and like <laughs> just like showered with people and praise. But I just felt so I felt such a lack of human connection that then it felt very weird to be like, "Oh, I'm on this show that's being received so well and has like such great fans yeah. um but it is it's just a really sweet, positive, and unique thing that I don't know how many like to know that the show has like touched so many people is really amazing, especially when you know we do so many things about like poop, but <laughs> but yeah. like they still they love it. Um, And They love us. And like the, the sweet, like Gata's storyline and like everything that we've talked about with mental health and like Dave's vulnerability with like his sort of idiosyncrasies and Allie ends up like having all of these sort of conversations about what it's like to be like a woman dating in today's world. And it is, uh, it's just really great to feel that connection with people, but it doesn't feel um, it just like feels very surreal. Like I know Ben Stiller mentioned loving the show and that, blows my mind i love ben stiller i love what he creates so much and so the idea of him just like sitting on a couch and watching us i can't totally like think about in my head
1: (laughs) gotta feel weird Um, yeah
0: it feels very weird but it's great it's great it's the coolest thing it's so 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 cool and honestly those are the things i love like telling my parents that's something that you get to i get to like funnel that and then watching them love that makes me happier and it makes it feel more real if i'm just like did you hear that lebron james loves our show and my little brother who like loves basketball being like oh my god and then seeing (laughs) it through their eyes is the the best way to digest it but yeah there's definitely a lot of like pinch me moments when you hear about things like that
1: there's a lot to love about sk coffee our presenting sponsor for connection request every time i talk to sk's founder sam chelberg i'm fascinated to learn more about what makes their coffee so special and why people are so drawn to them. Here's Sam. We're not a company that you're going to get the exact same thing over and over again. It's always going to be an exploration. This is literally an agricultural product and every year it's different. So it's like wine in that way. But something even more special than the coffee itself has always stood out to me. It's the entire SK team's passion. They treat their work like a real art form, and each of them care deeply about coffee's people, place, and process. Here's Sam again. The way we're trying to tell that story is not through, you know, interesting crafted cocktail coffee drinks, right? It's all, what is the coffee trying to say? What is the producer, the place, the plant itself trying to say, the process? And we are literally translating that communication from the raw product into your cup to learn more about sk coffee visit skcoffeeplease.com or check out their excellent instagram page if you live in minnesota stop into one of their cafes in saint paul or minneapolis you might even spot me there all those links are in the show notes okay now back to the show what about i mean i don't have like negative criticism to float to you but what about sort of the oh. other side of that coin i imagine just like being a human being and a woman. Um, yeah, you've got to get some of the other side of stuff to be it like valid or not.
0: Sure. I do. But also I think that I have like a pretty like light relationship with social media. I'm not very, uh, good at it, which I know feels like a, like quirky thing to say. Like I'm not good at social media, but I just like choose to not really engage in it that much. It feels very overwhelming to me just like as a world, not just the stuff that pertains yeah. to me. um, I so I I don't really have um a, like a big avenue in my life where like negative criticism from strangers at least like comes into play.
1: Yeah, and that's great. That sounds really healthy. It's
0: it's very great. It's very good. You know, every once in a while I will get a, like a, a meaner comment or or tweet or something, but even then they're not usually about me. They're usually about the character, which is hilarious. Sure. I, so it's I don't get to I don't take that. People will be like, take him back, and I'm like what do you want? I'm a, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, but I love that people care enough to do that. And I also think our show is a little unique in that we have a lot of people playing themselves. So some people genuinely think that I am Allie. Um, and that's great, but it also means I don't take that kind of criticism too personally. And then for the people people that also
1: think, sorry to interrupt. A lot of people also think you are dating Dave Bird. Yeah. yeah. That's like one, number one, Google things about you yeah they definitely
0: think that we're definitely a couple which is hilarious and we're very close and we love each other's partners very much (laughs) and it's just like so far from reality but we have such a great chemistry and we really enjoy each other and like i think we're believable on screen so again i don't fault anybody for thinking that because it makes me proud of the show yeah and for people who don't love the show i think like more of the criticism that i have digested and heard or that has impacted me more has been more about the overall show and like the role that I play on a show. And I remember the first time I started trying to do press for myself, I was faced with a lot of outlets not wanting to talk to me because they either wanted to talk to me and Dave, or they didn't want to talk to me at all because they thought that Dave the show was uh sexist and hmm. so they were like well we really don't want to we think that dave isn't is like anti-feminist and we just like don't want to talk to the yeah. girl who plays his girlfriend and i was like yeah. well that's sexist what you just said yeah. <laughs> and that's not how anybody on the show has ever treated me yeah. um and so that stuff has has obviously, was tough to hear because I you don't want to hear either thing. I didn't want to feel like I needed to have Dave in the room to feel worth interviewing, and I also certainly didn't want to feel like people thought that the show was sexist. But I found that anybody who thinks that truly, genuinely has not watched it. Hmm. I like I Allie is a character who stands up for herself. Allie's a character who is like so honest with Dave. She doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do. She has a career, she has opinions, like and the show gives Allie screen time without Dave. Yeah. Um makes her a fully realized person. Like she she is a vehicle for the audience to love Dave, certainly, but that doesn't make that make her just the girlfriend. Um so hmm. that's I guess sorry, I feel like I'm rambling as I'm like
1: No, I th- I think that that's like a that is an interesting part of your job that you have to deal with. Like I I Appreciate you expanding on that. Um, here's another thing, though. Something that, like, I guess with every single person I've interviewed on this show, I'm obsessed with the idea of, like, success and what people think success is or isn't. Mm-hmm. In 2021, you told the New York Times, do actors ever not feel like the underdog? <laughs> and here's the question. Do you still feel like the underdog?
0: Uh Yeah. <laughs> Interesting (laughs) to, to, you know, a little self-fulfilling prophecy there. Um, I think like, I feel very fortunate to be championed by Dave, the show and Dave bird as an artist and a producer. So I feel very, I don't feel like the underdog in that environment at all. I feel very, very championed. Yeah. But that is one of my jobs. So If I think about my career as my career is to be Ali on Dave, then I don't feel like an underdog, certainly. Um, It still has its obstacles, and there's still things that I'm fighting for. And in reality, the way that I look at my career is that I am an actor, and my job is to audition. Yeah. And then I am gifted with the opportunity to get to act on set should those auditions go well. Um, And to this day, I'm still struggling to get the auditions that i really want to get i'm still struggling to be seen by the people i want to be seen by yeah. i'm fighting against they're all the same obstacles that have always existed for me and for all actors but they just sort of change shape a little bit you, or you're in you might be in a different arena you feel like you're in a different league and you you, you have these accomplishments that make you feel like you've graduated to another level a lot of yeah. the momentum stuff i was talking about earlier
1: yeah
0: but i by no means am, you know offer only meryl streep status sure. um and so I still find myself feeling like the underdog in a, um, a lot of audition scen- scenarios that I'm in. And I love that now my underdog moments are watching a trailer for a movie and seeing who they cast and going, I auditioned for that movie. I auditioned for that role. I was on a plane the other day and the guy next to me was watching a movie that I wanted so bad. And he was watching the movie with another actress playing the role, and I was like half watching it, like. And you get, you're like, what gonna... that movie was. Um, it was yeah, it's the new Sebastian Maniscalco Robert De Niro movie about my father.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was just like, I was auditioning for. There's another like Adam Devine one that I was really close on that's coming out right now. That I was Reese Witherspoon and like Will Ferrell, and I was like audition for that movie. Yeah. And so there, it's really exciting to be like, that's the new caliber, you know, like audition for knives out too. And you're like, yeah. it's, I love, I'm like, by no means, you know, feeling like that, that same sort of chip on my shoulder feeling that I sure. maybe had when I first came to LA of like, let me get in there coach. Like let me audition for anything. And now I know I'm like so grateful to get an audition of that caliber and of that like size, but I have no features under my belt if you haven't watched Dave and you're not watching my reel, you're not familiar with me. And like, I'm now competing against really big actors. And so therefore I still have that sort of underdog mentality, but I think that it's mostly healthy. I think that in my case, it makes me feel like it gives me motivation to, to try really hard and to have that same sort of like fierceness and gumption about stuff that is, ultimately what led me to booking my first few jobs
1: yeah you don't want
0: to get complacent
1: yeah that i mean that i i really appreciate you kind of like going through that in detail and for me anyway it feels like one of those you can hold both things of like you are an actress in hollywood who's making a living who's been on tv shows you've you've done the thing that you set out to do and also you feel like you haven't sort of reached the potential. You haven't booked the things you want to. And I'm glad you brought up additions because like, I think that's probably the biggest thing that we, the public don't see is like, what are the things that you didn't get? What are the things you were told no to? Mm-hmm. Um, I, we were talking before we started recording that you listened to the episode with Risa. And I love that she talked about how like she celebrates every audition because mm-hmm. that like auditioning is so much of the job yeah. of being an actress. I was also just watching today your sides for the part that Dakota Johnson ended up getting in the social network oh. <laughs> still on YouTube. You sort of touched on this a little bit, but like at this point in your career, have you just like built a muscle and an emotion of like not freaking out when you don't get the thing you want or like how, how do you deal with that process of seeing yeah these movies and tv shows coming out that you're like oh i could have that could have been me yeah how do you deal with that
0: i'm still working on it i think it's um yeah i'm really still figuring out my relationship with that because i have found there was a period where i was in a lull of feeling a little discouraged of not booking things and then i felt this response where in order to protect myself and my feelings i would not try as hard in the mm-hmm. auditions. And I, hmm. I didn't do it so so consciously, but I realized looking back, I was sending in some tapes that I would just be like, all right, well, I sent it in. And it would feel like I was protecting myself by being like, well, they're not rejecting my best work. Or I'm not wasting my energy on something that I'm not going to get.
1: Yeah. And I'm
0: not going to build up my expectations so that I'm not disappointed. And then there was this sort of like month period and a handful of auditions where I just like felt kind of icky. And I didn't feel that accomplished sense that I normally do after sending in a tape. And I realized, oh, I'm doing this like self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm trying to get ahead of it and like reject it before they reject me. And I need to find a balance of still trying it as hard as I possibly can. And then like finding a way to deal with my mental health and like releasing it once I submitted. And so that's yeah. what I'm working on right now is getting something, letting myself be excited, work on it, send in something good. And then I really try to shake it off and like Do something else. I I will watch a Real Housewives episode. I will organize a pantry. I will like do something that just is like letting it go. I had a college professor who used to say, you know, pre-self-tapes, he would go into auditions, come out and like tear up the sides and throw them in the trash. So it was like his mental way of being like, and now that's done. And so I'm working on that. I think it's hard. Rejection is tough. It's also self tapes, make things feel for me a little bit less personal. So I feel like I work so hard on a tape and I'll send it out into like the ether. And, and oftentimes I don't hear anything. And that's a really, Oof. it's really disappointing to hear that. It's nice when you get close on something cause you get feedback maybe you get a call back, maybe you hear the producers like you, maybe you have a director meeting and then you're like, okay, I have some validation and I, I know I was close. I know I'm doing the right thing. And then I ultimately like, wasn't the right choice. Yeah. Um, but to hear nothing is like
1: that okay. as far as like for desk workers and people in the world of corporate, that is the most relatable thing ever of like just, <laughs> just how awful it is to apply for anything ever and then just yeah. nothing back. And
0: then hear nothing. Just say thank you.
1: Yeah. That's the least <laughs> you could do. Um hiring managers of the world take note. There's a really <laughs> easy way to be better than 90% of the people that are also hiring. Um I just Mm -hmm. watched both of your, or at least two of your shorts today, followers and also somewhere in between. And you were great. I'm curious, yeah, how's the experience working on projects like that, or even Mm -hmm. like Dave's music video, which is another big thing you did? Like, where Mm -hmm. do those kinds of projects fit into? kind of like your overall world of acting and very quickly let me say followers in particular like I want the movie like I wanted more of I it I like know. it ended and I was like what happens Tell me I so. know
0: so I, ju- very quickly Julia Bales who wrote and directed that is working on the feature
1: oh, great. Um,
0: and I love that film as well and I loved making it with her and it is like doing the festival circuit right now and it's gotten some really cool awards it got like a special honorable mention of like a genre award because hmm. they thought the, the festival was just like this genre is so juicy and unique. So yes, hopefully I, in fact, should bug her today. I find myself texting writers who are making (laughs) films that I should be in where I'll be like, how's writing going, girl? What's up? (laughs) Um, I, so I'm so glad that you asked about that. I love these short films. I love doing short films and sketches and they are truly like what keeps me so um, motivated and happy because (laughs) a lot of the film and television that I'm like mostly pursuing, like very professionally pursuing is like a slow process. Um, You know, you're sending in a self tape, you hear back weeks later, you're like talking to a director about something that shoots in September and the spring and everything is very slow. There's like very few times you could just actually like be on camera. And that's so important and like part of the job. And you just don't get to do it that often. So whenever I have an opportunity to do a short film or a comedy sketch or a music video that I think it's like even remotely good. I'm like, yes, let's do it. Especially like I've been able to do stuff with really, really talented people who are in the same boat as me, just in a different role where it's like they're sick of not making their stuff and Mm -hmm. they figure out a way to make their stuff. So it's really those projects are such a labor of love and they can come out so brilliant because of that. And I think followers and somewhere in between are both really exemplary of how like a passion project can be so spectacular. And both of them have done really well at festivals. It's like led for opportunities for those filmmakers to do more. And ultimately, both of those projects are kind of a prime example of they're now going to take those into um, a feature. Mm, And I now just have to stay on them to make sure that they cast me in my same role all over again. But it's great. It's like it's a way to be creative and be making your own stuff in a world where you know you're always waiting for somebody to let you do it yeah um and you get to make friends you get to learn so much you get to play roles that you don't normally play i love my role in followers like that's some like juicy weird stuff that i don't get Um, to do on dave um so
1: good yeah yeah thank you you were brilliant in both of them and i enjoyed just like I, I don't watch a lot of shorts. Like that's not a thing in my media diet that I like consume a lot of, but I'm like, oh yeah. I, should, I should get more like you just get so much packed into fifteen minutes. It's you it's kind do. of amazing to see so much of a story told and then of course want more.
0: It's a great medium. Like I I've been able to see so much more now that I've been doing them and then we've gone to screenings where they'll show like five or six and you are dressed on such a roller coaster because people make really impactful 10 15 minute films that are either so hilarious or so dark or so informative like they just are so um like capsulated and and so intense and it's just really fun to see them on and it's a great showcase for all kinds of different talents and like parts of the industry
1: yeah well i'm really glad i got to watch yours we have to talk about reality television um
0: (laughs) No, don't make
1: me. We absolutely have to. <laughs> the first question is, would you ever do reality television? Would you ever be on a show if they were the right no.
0: one? No. No. And here's why. Okay. I find that I am consumed by the industry and, like, who cast this show and how did they shoot this? And was mm-hmm. this shot, like, did they build this or did they find a real hospital? Like, I... And don't get me wrong, I can still like enjoy TV. I'm still going to like obsess over Succession just like the next girl. But I also am going to be like, how do I audition for Succession? Honestly, yeah. it was a big release watching the last season of Succession. I was like, I could just watch this. I'm not like as... Yeah. It's, it's a little... There's just always a little part of my brain that is dedicated to kind of thinking about how it was made. And, yeah. and it's, it's still so fun. I love it. I love we're in such a golden age of television. Reality TV is 0% aspirational to me. It Mm. is exclusively entertainment value, value junk. The stakes can still be very high. There's still moments where I've like cried over something that's happened. And there's moments that I've absolutely cracked up because I think it's so funny, but it's just pure entertainment to me. And I just take it for what it is and it's stupid, but it's, I don't want to do it. I just want to watch
1: it. Yeah. That, makes a lot of sense for those listening to this so you were on a podcast and Mm -hmm. i think it was called like "Hills to die on or something like that oh yeah 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 so and you have a thesis which is that reality tv (laughs) is good for women and Uh and first of all full disclosure i feel like in the past year i have entered through a portal i don't know what happened but like pre a year ago i did not watch reality tv Mm mm-hmm and I don't think I, I necessarily had like actual snooty opinions, but I think sort of somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, I, I watch good TV, right? Mm-hmm. And then a year ago, I started watching reality TV and I'm like, oh, I've been missing out for so long. So like, <laughs> I'm in it. You don't have to sell me, but you have a very specific opinion, which I think is a bit contrarian, which is like reality TV is is a good thing for women. Tell me a little bit just about like your obsession and love. And also like, if you wouldn't mind, like try out that thesis for our yeah. listeners, if you wouldn't mind
0: as somebody who is auditioning for roles that are in scripted shows for women on the regular and who is reading a lot of scripts and and also consuming a lot of the same television that everyone else is the characters on reality tv are so much more idiosyncratic and bizarre and and can be so broad but can be so unique and if you were to pitch sonia morgan from real housewives of new york city to a writer's room that was writing a show about women in new york they would reject your pitch they would be like that's unbelievable it's too too much it's too crazy and it's just not palatable she is not that well spoken we don't want to have a woman on our show who is like perceived as not that smart or doesn't have that great like there are a lot of um Steps in the right direction that we're making for writing female characters, but that can be a little push back a little bit on just some of that texture of like a real person. Sometimes Mm. I've I've been in scenes where they don't want my character to fight with another female character because they just don't want two women fighting and I. Sort of get that, but I also get a little annoyed by that because I'm like, you know what? The only fights I've had in my life recently have been with other women. Like women do fight with each other. If we're handling these characters with kid gloves to make them seem so like aspirational and make them very perfect, I think that we're then fighting against just like reality. And I find that there are not only characters, but storylines in the world of reality TV that women don't get to see in scripted. There's always like family dynamics. There's the Richards sisters on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills have a big fight about their mom's inheritance. And it's just like two women who are fighting about the money from this other woman. And they're really like saying hurtful, awful things to each other. And it's messy and it's very real. We've all seen our families fight and get really intense about stuff. And it's just not as, as perfectly staged as it would be in a scripted world. And there's just a lot of mothers talking about their relationships with their kids and with their parents and what it's like to be a working mom. And it's just, it's a window into stories about women who live with and love and hate other women that we just don't get to see in other forms of media. And for people who say like, well, it's dangerous because it promotes like fighting. I just don't subscribe to that. Like I watch The Sopranos with my fiance and he's not murdering people and putting them in a lake. Like, what do you think? It's just, it's very demeaning to say that I would watch a reality, a Real Housewives episode where someone throws a wine glass. And then like, I now, Taylor, I'm going to start throwing wine glasses at people because I'm like, Such a dingus, and I saw it on TV once. Like (laughs) we all recognize what we're watching. I'm like I said, a lot of us don't think it's aspirational, but it is quite a release because everyone, man or woman, has wanted to throw a wine glass at someone at one point in their life, (laughs) but we just haven't. And these women have permission to do that and permission to live to those extremes. And I think it's like healthy for us to see that. So I don't think, and for people who are like, well, it's promoting like this sort of um traditional backwards are all like Real Housewives like get out of here you obviously have not watched the show they all have jobs they're all so wealthy they're all selling bullshit to all of us I'm buying it there's a whole economy of that these ladies have started totally. so it's not I just think most of the snootiness perhaps is often from people who don't watch any of the shows and you don't have to like I've been living with my fiance for six years and he does not sit down and watch the Real Housewives with me but he's not like it's poisoning your brain he's like this is not as I'm not as into this and I'm like yeah, yeah. and I don't want to watch golf more power to you like totally let's do- fair yeah i think it's just fun to look and laud at the world of reality tv rather than putting it down as really just a fun little debate moment i like to have
1: yeah <laughs> um any chance we will get more episodes of flipping tables your excellent podcast yeah, about reality I mean- tv
0: Look, I love working with Alyssa Littman so much. She's a really talented comedy writer. She's staffed right now on like a big network show. And so she's working all the time. I don't know if you know this, Joel, but making a podcast is so hard. And our premise was talking about the current episodes of reality shows and then like highlighting those women and like celebrating them and kind of like talking about. And then we were interviewing people who are working in scripted to talk about their favorite unscripted moments or women in unscripted TV. And it was so fun and like really, really enlightening. And it just was so many hours of work each week that we did not anticipate and we really hit sort of a wall where we wanted we just like needed to take a break i also was consuming reality tv because it was homework and that is not fun i found that eventually i would be like falling asleep and i'd go i haven't watched real housewives of potomac and i would have to like get up and watch it in order to be prepared for the next morning's recording that we were recording before Alyssa went to work or i went to set and it just was like, so it was really, really great for us to have during the pandemic. It's something we really, really love. I would definitely bring it back with the right team. Like we were doing everything ourselves. So it's something that I would do with a production team or with like a network that really helped us because I, I love her and I love the concept so much. But yeah, man, lesson really learned on how tough a podcast is.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I commend um, you. I know a guy if you need any help. And I think I think your audience wants it back. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a couple more minutes for a rapid fire? I Absolutely. To be of your I'm time. All yours. Okay. What are you currently watching on reality TV? and Any current favorite TV characters or storylines that you're loving?
0: Um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is coming back, and that has some really intense characters. We have Kyle, who's going through a sort of like separation, and then Erica Jane, who is under scrutiny for her husband going to jail and like mm. all this sort of wild stuff. So that's a very high stakes um uh, franchise that i i really love. I'm currently also watching the new Real Housewives of New York is so good. Um hmm. I, they've casted a whole new cast and i think they're really really great, and really like cool women. I will say that my favorite reality show of all time is Shark Tank and Shark Tank just started its new season. Um nice. really great season so far. I wish there was a couple more deals. The couple of the first couple episodes a lot of duds. Sure. But you got i just love anytime Barbara Corcoran is on my screen.
1: Sure. Yeah. So yeah, those are the Towns big things. The... I'm also
0: re-watching Game of Thrones right now.
1: Yeah, you are. Great show. Holds <laughs> up. Does it hold up?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, does it hold up? It's so good. Okay. I really took for granted. Like, I was like, well, I've seen Game of Thrones. Eventually one day I'll rewatch it. Rewatching season one? You are yeah. just I, I'm i uh, it's it's spectacular. It's so good.
1: Um are you dipping into I know another franchise you like a lot is The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Are you dipping into the Golden Bachelor at all? And how could I takes forget? on Gary? Yeah,
0: I I adore Gary. I find the Golden Bachelor to be so moving and so hilariously unfunny. Mm, uh, I yeah. find that the The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise in particular, yeah. they are so, and I say this in the most loving way, they're so stupid. They're so yeah. like White and the stakes are so low. If you get eliminated and you're like heartbroken and you're crying, you're still like man or woman. You're still like hot and like 28 years old, and you're gonna go be an Instagram influencer or you're gonna go on Bachelor in Paradise and like you're gonna be fine. The rose ceremonies for the Golden Bachelor break my heart into a million pieces, and you can tell that Gary feels the same way because like it. These women are just on the show to date him, and they have no other motivation. They have no like hidden agenda. When they're rejected, they are just rejected and. They feel as though they're going out to pasture. It's so, so heartbreaking. Yeah. And that being said, on the other end of the spectrum, the sweet moments of him connecting with any one of the women who I think are all so spectacular are so sweet and genuine and romantic. And I find yeah. his language really intentional and sweet. I love when he says, you have my attention. God, yeah. what a romantic thing to say. Yeah, it's I, so romantic.
1: There's a guy in TikTok whose whole thing is like, Gary, will you just... Will you quit the show and be my dad? And I have a great dad. Dad, you're going to listen to this. Shout out to you. I love you. But um, here's a good one. I see why America's fallen in love with him. Um, Here's a question. You have said once on Twitter.com, now known as X, that 90 Day Fiance is the best show on television. Is it better than Dave? Yeah. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Taylor Mishak, star of the show, Dave. It is. thinks I would, that 90 Day Fiance is better than Dave.
0: That show is, first of all, I mean, it's incredibly uh, cringy and and can be very, if you're not into like secondhand embarrassment, like I do not recommend. However, if you're into the idea of the hero and the villain position in a story, hmm. constantly switching, hmm. you're going to love this show. I think the stories on it are so dynamic because they're the situation that they're in to be on a 90 day visa of having like someone who doesn't live in america come to america they have 90 days to get married you start the season you meet them you think one of them is a scammer you think one of them is being hoodwinked and then you're watching it for a while and then you're like rooting for the scammer because the person who brought them over it like deceived them in this other way and it's just a really fun lesson in um in that sort of like hero villain dynamic that I don't see on any other show. And so I I get so excited when a new season starts and I meet the new casts because I'm like, okay, I really like so-and-so so so far, but like, what's going to happen? It's a very, it's a very good show.
1: (laughs) Strongly held opinions. You heard it here first. Um, (laughs) Dream role of stage screen for Taylor Mishak. What's a dream role for you?
0: A dream role. Well, a dream role would be honestly playing a character that has like, all of the likability and the sweetness that Allie has, but the character has an objective that isn't so self-serving and evil that she mm. uses those powers for bad. Generally speaking, I love these like female driven anti-hero shows that are coming yeah. out. I think like those are so inspiring. I think like Amanda Seafried doing the Theranos show was mm. like so cool. I so love that so much. That would be like a dream role. Yeah. And then I do really so desperately want to do theater again. And I would really like to do a play and I would love to do like a David Mammoth play or something Mm. like that.
1: Okay. We'll look forward to that. What about like a TV show to guest on? Dream TV show to guest on. You
0: know, until recently it was succession. I, I really, really admire the show and love the world and yellow jackets.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Great things about that show.
0: Yeah. I also would love to be an actor who is used on the rehearsal on HBO. Ah, Which is yeah, Yeah. sort of more in the reality realm, but he uses a lot of actors and I'm like, oh God, I think this show is really smart and and interesting. And I would I would like to do that.
1: Did you ever find the Jake Gyllenhaal sweater?
0: You know I did.
1: Good. I'm really happy. It was like
0: $700 $700 though I didn't
1: buy it oh that's a very I, expensive sweater
0: yeah, yeah what are you gonna do you would like not even like move in it I just you yeah, just
1: really I, wanted it and then I really wanted and I it I thought it would
0: be so cute I thought it would be really great for me to wear sometimes and my fiance to wear sometimes
1: sure <laughs> that makes sense I was
0: like there's some sweatshirts I'll see that I'm like oh I love this I could give this to him and then I can like borrow yeah. it whenever I want yeah, yeah, yeah. and I thought that sweater was so gorgeous that's so funny you're bringing back like such a funny memory and the internet really helped me find it. Yeah. And then when I found it, I didn't have the heart to tell the internet that your girl is not seven... buying a $700 sweater. Although now this is years later. I should see if I could get
1: it. Secondhand. Discounted. Or yeah, discounted. secondhand. Yeah. I yeah, like yeah. it. Um, last rapid fire. Any like weirdest celeb run-ins or moments for you? You work in Hollywood. You live in Hollywood. Or just like the most mundane. Either or. Weird or mundane.
0: <laughs> okay. This, I guess, is only really going to hit for my shark tank fans but i had uh, the fortune to go to the emmys in 2018 and i was like giving myself a pep talk on the way there that i wasn't gonna be weird to people like you can't go to the emmys and be like approaching people for like autographs i I was like you gotta play it cool you can still obviously if you're in conversation with somebody you could say you admire them maybe i don't know i was like play it cool play it cool play it cool and as we're there i'm like passing obviously such insanely talented, famous people and just like staying calm and staying calm. But then I saw Kevin O'Leary from the Shark Tank and I lost my mind. I was like, because there's something about too like reality stars when you see them, when I see them in my experience, it's it's them. You know, if you see Tom yeah. Hanks, you're like, "Oh my God, that's Tom Hanks," and he plays—he's Forrest Gump, and he's in Philadelphia, and he's all these things. And you—you, you, my brain will be like, "But he's an actor, and not you're seeing the real guy." When yeah. I saw Kevin O'Leary, I was like, "I know Kevin O'Leary. <laughs> I know all of his opinions. I know I know this man, and I love him." And I I turned to my fiance, who's my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna go be weird to Kevin O'Leary. And I did. And he loved it. He like loved the attention. He was like borderline too much about it. But I was just like, I got to tell you, I love Shark Tank so much. Um, and I just like li- love you guys. on. It's my favorite show. I think it's like really informative and funny and like smart. It's got me interested in so many things. And yeah. Um, and then at that same party, I also saw Robert Herchevec And I told him, <laughs> That my beta fish was named Robert Herchevek, son of an immigrant factory worker.
1: <laughs> I
0: was like, I just I, love you guys so much. I named my fish Robert Herchevek.
1: I love that your favorite celebrity run-ins are with The Shark Tank guys. The that really warms Ugh. my heart. In if th- if yeah. you saw them
0: when you die,
1: yeah. Oh, I don't know. I. You got to get, Maybe.
0: listen, turn on CNBC when we stop recording. I guarantee you there's going to be an episode from 2007 and
1: it's going to be a smash. Like, it's like, so good. I've <laughs> seen the show. I've, I've watched plenty of Shark Tank. I, I definitely have a different relationship with it than you, but I am in no way judging. I just think it is so sweet that there are people in the world who would be like thrilled to run into you. But for <laughs> you, you're like, like not actors or actresses. It's the <laughs> i genuinely I just... love it it's my favorite part of this conversation hands down oh <laughs> that makes me so happy um okay let's let's bring this home i guess you know we started this interview talking about our time together in high school yeah you could zoom back and talk to young taylor at eastview high school in apple valley grinding away in fiddler on the roof and speech and debate <laughs> And you had some advice for her and maybe some advice for young Jewel too. I'll take it. Um, (laughs) What would it be?
0: Gosh, I do wonder what it would be. I think I would, I think I would tell myself to be more present. Honestly, Hmm. I remember very much at that time being very fixated on college and, you know, Hmm. taking all the right APs and applying for scholarships really early senior year. And I just was really fixated on college and you know part of that is just high school culture and i think going to a high school like what we went to was part of it and then a big part was i just was ready to graduate i was like kind of over being the new kid and kind of ready to get out so i i would tell myself to be more present and to focus a little a little less on that stuff and that they will come and that a lot of things that seem so important in high school are like so not that important yeah <laughs> you know i would yeah. be so devastated by the silliest news, you know, not, not breaking into the final round at the Lakeville North speech tournament and original oratory, like the third week into the season. And I would be like devastated. And I'd be like, what kind of professional am I ever going to be? And (laughs) I just would, I would tell her to relax a little bit. And and I would maybe say the same to young Joel. You were also like, so such Uh a leader in so many of the activities you were doing and like working very, very hard. in a lot of the things you were doing and, not to say that any of those things were bad to do, but I, I don't doubt that you had a little bit of that sort of type A overachiever syndrome that was very much fostered in, in our program. And yeah.
1: yeah. I remember I ate lunch every day in the band room. And then the times when I had to memorize lines, I would eat up by the um, the closet, the costume closet. You know what I'm talking about? I would like yeah. sit up there by myself and memorize lines. And I feel like maybe I could have like made some friends or something. So (laughs) that's a lovely place to end things on Um, Taylor. I'm just, I'm, really thrilled to have gotten the chance to to catch up with you. It's really fun for me to see all the wonderful and amazing things you're doing from afar. And now to hear a little bit more about the behind the scenes, I look forward to seeing all the amazing and wonderful things you do. So thanks so much for coming on Connection Request.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I am I'm really enjoying listening to your episodes. So thank you for what you do. And it's very inspiring and very easy to listen to.
1: That is it for today's episode of Connection Request. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you make sure you're following us? It'd mean a lot. Today's show is produced by Marie Ionazo and me, Joel Lehman. Our theme music is by the amazing Mike Lauer and his band Viewers Like You. It's from their album Panoramia. The show is a production of Shrug Content, a podcast studio based in Minnesota. You can learn more about us at shrugcontent.com. Special thanks to SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor. You can learn more about them at skcoffeeplease.com. If you live around the Twin Cities, ping me. I'll take you there myself. First cup is on me. You can connect with the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Send us feedback, guest ideas, and funny TikToks at connect at shrugcontent.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.